Isn't that beautiful? Way to go, Ron. Way to improvise, adapt, and overcome. That's good. Well, if you have your Bibles, please be turning to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. And uh, thank you for coming this morning. If you do not have a Bible, that's, that's okay. We have one in the gift bag if you have a gift bag. And uh, if not, you can grab one. There should be one near you in the seat rack in front of you that you can grab. And uh, that will help. That will get you going where you need to go. Uh, this this morning you'll be on page 1,337, 1,337 if you're looking for a page number to get us started together. All right, so <clears throat> this morning we're going to be talking about, you'll never guess, Jesus. Jesus, yeah, that's good guess, the resurrection, right, the resurrection, so... Uh, it is so good to see everyone, by the way, before we jump into this, and uh, thank you for coming this morning. I know we have a lot of, of faithful folks that are here, but also a lot of guests, a lot of familiar family and friends, and uh, it is so good to be together today uh, and uh, celebrate the resurrection together. You know, without Jesus, we wouldn't even, most of us wouldn't even know each other. It's really a, an interesting thing, uh, how God draws us all together, and uh, it's a beautiful thing as well. Uh, this morning, I want to just pose this question as we as we contemplate the resurrection. Now, and just all honestly, you don't honesty. You don't have to like verbalize this, but in your heart, um, you know, if I ask this question, you're all going to have a response. How does the empty tomb uh, meet the needs of your empty heart? Right now, if you're born again, you're all going to be like, oh well, you know, um, it meets it meets all my needs, right? And it does, right? But really, when you think about it. Um, this morning is set apart by our culture to celebrate the resurrection. And today, churches all across America are loaded with people who are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But sadly, for many, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus is, is just a religious ceremony. I mean, there's really not much more to it. Uh, you know, and it doesn't really have an impact. And it certainly doesn't meet the needs of the heart. After the service is over, they just go back to the way it was. And there's no real change like we heard of in the baptism tank this morning. Man, what a, Nicole gave her testimony. What an incredible testimony of what happens when we, we meet the Lord Jesus Christ because he is resurrected. He is alive. I know in my heart, in my mind, until I understood the resurrection was actually real, my salvation wasn't secured. I wasn't really saved. Not that I would, I told people I was saved, but I wasn't saved. I was lost because I had not allowed the resurrection to meet the needs of my heart. Right? Saved from what? Saved by what? Is it because I, my good works outweighed my bad works? Was it because I felt like I was saved? What, what really, what really anchors our salvation and the, the deepest need that we have, which is to know that when we die, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you're asking. These are good questions. We got to answer those this morning or why come this morning, right? So we can point out uh, some things, you know, it goes beyond the sunrise service and it goes beyond the Easter egg hunts. There's a lot more to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I, I hope that we can find the, the, the promise, the proof and the power. Can you point out the promise of the resurrection? I mean, can you can you find that uh, you can? I'm going to help you with that this morning. Do you have proof of the resurrection? Uh, there is proof, actually. And are you experiencing the power of Jesus Resurrection. I pray that you are. So uh, let's have a word of prayer once again, and, and we'll continue on in the word in Mark chapter 8. Heavenly Father, uh, we have sang, and we have welcomed, and we have 
prayed and Lord, we've gone out and picked up Easter eggs and we've had all kinds of good messages this morning at the, the nine o'clock hour. Lord, we have rejoiced already in the resurrection. We have lifted up your name and we are so thankful for the reality of the resurrection in our lives. I pray this morning as we look at this passage, Lord, that you just confirm in our hearts the promise, the proof and the power of your resurrection in our hearts, Lord, and then it would change us from the inside out and we go out of here uh, ready to, to rejoice and see other lives change because of what you've done in our life. Thank you, Lord, for the, the baptism message that we saw. Thank you for, for just seeing that, that uh, step of faith and obedience, not to be saved, but because Nicole had already trusted the Lord Jesus as her Savior. Lord, thank you and praise you this morning for your word. I pray, God, you bless the reading, the hearing, and the application in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Mark eight twenty-seven. The Bible says in Mark 8 and verse 27, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 8.32 And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, this passage is an interesting passage to start with, but I want to, I want to point out here the resurrection promise. The resurrection promise. Now, uh, he had just told his disciples... Uh, and and he he taught them that the Son of Man, verse 31, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed after three days and rise again. Now this, it says, he spake openly. This was no secret. So before Jesus ever died on the cross, he had already verbalized the fact that he was going to die on the cross. I mean, very specifically, after three days, rise again. You know, it's like you've ever seen that, uh, you know, we've all heard of the story of Babe Ruth, right? He points out in the outfield and he hits the ball, bam, it goes right where he says, you know. Uh, Jesus is like saying, calling it before it ever, he's calling the shot, man. I mean, he's, 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 he's going to make it happen exactly the way he says. And after three days, uh, he says, I will rise again. This was not a secret. It was openly spoken. Uh, and then, of course, you got Peter here, but that's a whole nother message. He had to rebuke him. Uh, because he did not savor the things that, which makes sense, right? Why would you want the Messiah to be killed, right? That was something that was, was hard for Peter to get a hold of at that time, right? This was so monumental. You know, there's a lot of people now today in retrospect, many of us could, could, could answer that question. Let me just put it as it. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? You can tell me. For our sin, right? That's it. Jesus died for sinners. He came to save sinners. Right. There's it's very clear in the in the New Testament why Jesus came to die. But, you know, what? Peter was wrestling with that. You know what? When I was lost, if you're lost this morning, you're wrestling with the same thing. You're either wrestling with why did Jesus live at all? And if he did live, did he die on the cross? And if he died on the cross, what's that got to do with me? 
And all of those questions got to be answered. You got to understand there's a promise that people just don't understand in their own wisdom. You have to see it from God's perspective, and it's from the words of God. Okay, so point A, if you're in an outline, the, revel- the revelation of Jesus' mission is directly related to the promise of his death, burial, and resurrection. There's no good news this morning without our Passover lamb. Uh, man, we have to have Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. A Passover lamb, for those of you that may not be familiar with that, a Passover lamb was something that was instituted in Exodus chapter 12 with the nation of Israel. As they had, uh, as they were getting ready to exit the bondage of Egypt, they were at this uh, cataclysmic moment where the armies of Pharaoh had them pinned down. And God's getting ready to deliver them. But before he does all of that, he says, okay, stop. And, and go kill a lamb. And everybody take that lamb's blood and put it over the doorposts. Representing, of course, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And then you sit and you, you eat this lamb together. And if, if your neighbor doesn't have lamb, then bring your neighbor in. And they all eat together and they, they observe this Passover feast. Now, what's the Passover about? Well, the death angel was going to pass over that night and kill all the firstborn children of Egypt. And it did. But those that had the blood on the doorposts, the death angel passed over. It's the Passover lamb. So all the children of Israel were spared. Pharaoh and all of Egypt uh, and all the firstborn were killed. We're talking about that. Actually, you can come back uh, on our normal Sunday series, and we'll keep working through this whole thing. We're actually getting ready to start the, the ten plagues. Okay, that Passover lamb later on in the New Testament is likened to Jesus because Jesus Christ fulfilled those prophecies. All those Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our Passover, the Apostle Paul said. And so Peter was, den- Peter was denying the atonement by denying the death, the burial, and subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, can't, you, can't, you don't want to be without your lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the mission of Christ is hard to deal with because it brings us right back to our sin. If we were sinless, Jesus would not have had to suffer or die. We just had a big uh, vision conference. This is really kind of the culmination of our vision conference today. It's Easter. It's the resurrection day. We're celebrating what it's all about, which is getting the word to the world. You know, we can't do that if we don't deal with right with with what's right in front of us. And that is our own sin. Point B, the revelation of Jesus's glorification is directly related to the promise of the resurrection. In Mark chapter 9, just a, a, a next chapter over, if you look over there, in verse 1, Mark 9, 1, it says, And he, saith unto, or he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them which stand here, which shall not taste death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh him with him, I'm sorry, Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up in a high mountain apart by themselves, and he transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were uh, talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make uh, three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say. He didn't know what to say, so he just says something. For they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of that cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when he had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man 
were risen from the dead. So these three, Peter, James, and John, were able to see the Lord Jesus uh, in his glorified state before he even died on the cross. That's crazy, but that's what the Bible says. The disciples were not at liberty to reveal Jesus' glorification until after the resurrection. In Matthew 17 and verse 19, you have the same account of, of what was happening in the four Gospels. If you're not familiar with the Bible, they are, the, they are four um, perspectives on the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 17, there's another perspective. Matthew 17 and verse 9 says, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. I mean, Jesus is repeating himself over and over. Risen again from the dead. Risen again from the dead. Risen again from the dead. And how could we miss it? And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but he, uh, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Now, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but since I'm here, um, you know, what are they talking about, Elias? They're talking about the prophet Elijah. The, the, the scholars would say, look, there's going to be these two witnesses, and one of them is Elijah. And I believe the other one's Moses, of course. They're right there in the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he's saying, hey, well, we, we, we get this. I mean, we just saw Moses and Elijah, so, okay, you know, when are you coming back? And he's like, hey, just, just hold your horses in verse 13. He says, you know, John the Baptist, they figured out it was John the Baptist. He says, Elias, Elijah's already come. Well, Elijah, (coughs) John the Baptist, Jesus later would say, was as good as John the Baptist if they would have received him. But, of course, they didn't. So what happened to John the Baptist? He got killed, right? He got beheaded, head on a platter, right? And then Jesus says, hey, what happened to John the Baptist? Uh, I've got to suffer as well. Uh, The disciples understood what he was saying. I've got to suffer of them, just like John the Baptist did. And he's already told them, I've got to die. I've got to die. I'm going to die. Okay, point C. The joy of our salvation is directly related to our comprehension of the promise of Jesus' resurrection. You know, there's some things it's just hard to get our heads around. You know, we've got to get our minds around all this. You can imagine the disciples as they're walking with Jesus and they're seeing him do all these miracles. And, I mean, this guy can, he can just disappear when he needs to. He can walk through a wall. I mean, he's, he's, he can do whatever he wants. He can walk on water. Why does he need to die? Well, we know that answer because of our sin. In Mark chapter 9, the same text, it says in verse 31, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Get this in verse 32. But they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, he's telling them over and over again. He told them in chapter 8. He's telling them in chapter 9. He's telling them again. And they're all like, Jesus, this is what it sounds like you're saying to us. Like you're going to die. What do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, Lee, it's good to have you here today. Man, praise the Lord. And we got Bobby here too. Praise God. What do you mean by that? 
Well, what do you think he means? The disciples didn't, the, the, the disciples, they didn't get the promise, did they? In the prediction of Jesus' resurrection. They, all they saw was the death, but they, they didn't really get a hold of what that was all about. Matthew 17 and verse 22, it says that they were sorry when they heard that Jesus would suffer and die and rise again. I think I have that on the screen for you. It says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they had a party. Because it's the... No, that's not exactly what it says. And they were exceeding sorry. I mean, death just quenches our spirit, doesn't it? We all know what it's like to go to a funeral of someone we love. And even under the best case scenario, we call them celebrations of life. We know that eternal life begins the day we get saved. We get all that if you're born again. But isn't there just a bit of sadness? Yeah, there is. The separation that we have, even though it's temporary, it, it grieves our heart. It grieves our heart. The disciples reckoning with Jesus dying you know, kind of just got stuck on the death. They, they kind of missed the resurrection. You know, wow, how are you going to come back to life? You know, they, they just kind of get stuck in the death. You know, there's people, I know people right now, I know people that, that we know that get stuck on death. And I have a friend of mine and, and, and a friend of yours, many of you here in the church, who lost her son tragically last year, man. And she's stuck. She's all over Facebook. She's grieving and grieving. Death will stick you. But praise God, there's a resurrection. And Jesus overcomes death. Death is not as big a deal to him as it is to us. But it was awful painful for him to deal with our sin, which is the result of death. We certainly should not be happy that the price of our sins cost Jesus his life. That should cause us to sorrow. But we certainly cannot miss the importance of the victory that he has over sin and death. So if we'll be grieved, let's be grieved over our sin because it caused the Savior's death. But let's rejoice over the reality that he's overcome sin and conquered sin and is alive today, risen from the dead. Hallelujah to you. Man, that's awesome. So when our gospel doesn't include the resurrection, all we focus on is the price of sin instead of the victory of our Savior. Man, the gospel doesn't end when Jesus died on the cross and was buried. No, no. First Corinthians 15, right? And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He's alive. And that's why we celebrate. Point D, the work of the cross is finished. Now turn in your Bibles to John 19. Uh, John 19. I'm going to try to beat you to it. I don't have a page number. It's just a couple of books over. Well, I do have a page number, but it won't probably match yours unless you're using an Oxford wide margin. All right. So John 19 is uh, on uh, page 190 or 157 with my aged eyeballs. All right. John chapter 19, verse 28. The Bible says, give you a second to get there. (coughs) After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it with, filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You see, Jesus did all the work of atonement on the cross before he descended 
to the center of the earth to preach to the captivity, to the captives, I should say, rather. I was thinking of the verse. It says, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He went to the center of the earth and he preached to those that, that were in Abraham's bosom and, and also those, of course, that were in hell. They could, they could hear. And then he ascended on the third day. Today our sin is paid for and we have, uh, we have the promise of the resurrection, man. We've cashed in on that blessed assurance. So let me give you some practical application. Some practical application. If you go to the next chapter in verse 9, just look at this verse here. John 20 and verse 9, he says this. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now what in the world, how is this possible? I mean, Jesus has gone, we've read it in Mark, we've seen it in Matthew. Jesus has told them over and over, the Son of Man must die. And after three days, rise from the dead. I mean, we've seen it in all these passages. Why? How is it that we get to John chapter 20 and the disciples are still wondering about, I mean, how can this be? I mean, is this a contradiction in the Bible? Maybe our Bible wasn't put, no, it isn't. The Bible's exactly, these are the words that God would have for us. So it's not a contradiction at all. It's a, it's a revelation. God's wanting us to see something. In, in John 20, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Let's go back and look at this just a minute. It says, then, verse 8, it says, Then went uh, in also the other disciples, which came first to the sepulcher, and, and saw and, and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture that said he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. And then you get into verse 11, and it says, But Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping as she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels uh, in white, sitting the one at the hand at the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have, look at this, taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So she doesn't actually understand that Jesus' body is not missing because someone has stolen it. She thinks that she thinks he's been it's been a grave robber, a grave grave robber. Not at all. He's resurrected. She doesn't see this yet. And when she had thus said, he turned. Uh, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne uh, him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now, here we see that Mary did not, even though Jesus had repeated himself over and over, and it was said in Mark chapter 8 that this was said publicly, this was said out loud, it certainly didn't get to Mary that he was going to rise from the dead. And if it did, she didn't believe it. The disciples were were obviously in a situation. They were sad at his death. They didn't know if he would rise from the dead, but he did. If Jesus taught frequently and openly to his disciples that he would resurrect, well, then why didn't they believe him? What's the, well, what do you think? 
Well, the answer is right there in verse 9 that we read a moment ago. It says they didn't know the Scripture. They didn't know the Scripture. What? I mean, Jesus was right there with them, and they would... Why would they need to know the Scripture when Jesus Christ is right there with them? That's a good question. The answer is found in Scripture in Romans ten seventeen. Faith cometh by hearing... In hearing by the word of God. Jesus Christ himself, the Bible says in John 1, is the word. In the beginning was the word. He's the embodiment of what this book is. What it is. This is the mind of Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. But if you want to know about and believe in him, you've got to believe his word. Because you can't separate him from his word. His disciples are like not believing. Why? Because, well, they don't yet know the scripture. Later on, you would have this Pharisee who was... It was uh, was adamant to kill anybody who would believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Even today in Israel, there are the, if you, if I went and preached the gospel right now in Jerusalem, they would treat me like they treated Jesus and they treated Paul and they treated everybody else in the first century. Why? Because they do not. And this make a Jew crazy. You don't believe the scripture. Jesus fulfills the very scripture of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of it. And the New Testament just gives us light on that. The word of God is more sure than the visible glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, now, wait a minute. I want evidence. You've got it right here. Oh, Brian, that's circular reasoning. Well, you know what the Bible says in 2 Peter 1? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, they're talking about what we've already read in in Matthew chapter 17 and in, in Mark chapter 9, when they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus Christ in his glorification before he ever went to the cross. I mean, that, that was a special moment. Um, and, and, and they're saying, hey, look, me, Peter, James and John, we were there and we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. who we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice uh, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, that's an experience. You got three witnesses out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Everything's established. So there it's settled. Now, that's not what Peter says. And this is the voice which came from heaven, which we heard, which we uh, which when we were with him in the holy mount. And then he says this in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed unto it is a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture, scripture, scriptures of any private interpretation. <clears throat> Peter is saying God is giving his word. We have we have this record. We have Jesus Christ's word on the resurrection. The reason they were struggling with the resurrection is they didn't understand it biblically. They really didn't see it. From the word of God. Jesus' word is exalted above his name. The Bible says in Psalm 138 verse 2, I will worship toward the, thy holy hill temple, I'm sorry, and praise thy name uh, for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So if you're hanging around the empty tomb this morning in doubt and despair, you know, the facts of the resurrection of Christ just aren't good news for you, man. I got news for you. The word of God will get you where you need to go. God left us a love letter full of promises 
that you can count on. So you could grasp the purpose of Christ's mission. That's really what we're talking about. The purpose of Christ's mission to this earth was to die for sinners and for his glorification and their subsequent, which is my subsequent, your subsequent salvation. This morning you can know that you are alive from the dead, free from the tomb because of the blessed book that contains the promises, the promises. I was thinking about promises. You know, you make promises who keeps their promises anymore? Well, I hope you do. I was thinking, you know, there's some times in your life you make big honking promises. I can remember, I can remember July 22nd, 1989. I looked into Amy's eyes and she looked into my eyes and we, we gave our vows. Till death do us part. Man, these are big honking promises. And I'm glad. Thank you, honey. Good wife. You know what? God's made some big honking promises. (laughs) Huge promises. And they're all recorded in this book. And God wants you to get into this book and understand that there, man, there is some promise to this resurrection. It brings eternal life. But you know, the skeptic says, Brian, promises are all right, but I want proof. 34 years later, how am I doing, honey? I hope I'm doing okay. Don't ask. No, don't. don't ask. Don't tell policy. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to fulfill it. So there's going to be skeptics out there who say, Brian, I am just not down with your circular reasoning and your faith in this book. I mean, come on. Okay, well, let's get with some empirical evidence then. The resurrection proof. Examine the evidence of the eyewitnesses. That's point A, eyewitnesses, one word. The Bible contains the record of witnesses who have seen Jesus after his resurrection. I uh, listened to hours of, of uh, there's a dude out here on the East Coast. Uh, he used to be a professor at Liberty U, and he's an apologetic guy and talks about the resurrection. He's got, I don't have time for all of it. I could go, he could talk for hours on all just the, the minimal evidence that atheists will accept and how overwhelming it is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I mean, it's like, it's, a, it's fascinating to listen to. But I got my Bible, and Acts chapter 1 says this in verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many, what's the word there? Infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus resurrecting from the dead was not done in a closet. It wasn't done in a corner, as Paul says. I mean, later on, it's obvious that this guy rose from the dead, or this was the biggest ruse the world's ever seen. The the word infallible is exclusively applied to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only found once in the Bible. It's found right there in Acts 1 and verse 3. Infallible proofs. Now, if you're born again, you've got to believe it. You already believe it or you weren't born again. But now that you're born again, isn't that nice? I mean, it's like awesome. It's infallible. But yet you're like, well, some, there might be a skeptic that's lost in the house. So let me just throw some out. I'm not going to go through all the references here for time's sake. But the first one I'll throw out is Mary Magdalene, who we just read about, was alone in the sepulcher. Right? So she was there. And then there was certain women, the other Mary, uh, uh, Salome, jo- jo- Joanna, and others returning from the sepulcher in Matthew 28. Okay, there's, there's your three witnesses plus. Oh, but they're ladies. And, you know, we can't, we can't take the word of ladies. Okay, well then what about Simon Peter? Who came, 
uh, alone. And then the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I, I didn't actually throw in John in there. John should have been in there. The ten disciples, of course, uh, minus Thomas in the upper room. The eleven and uh, the eleven and the brethren above five hundred at one hundred at one time. First Corinthians fifteen and verse six. Oh, I missed one verse. I went too far. The eleven disciples Thomas was present with them in John chapter twenty, and then the disciples uh, when they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee in John twenty-one. Uh, the eleven and the brethren above five hundred at one time. First Corinthians fifteen and verse six. Paul says there's over five hundred brethren in fifty about fifty-three to fifty-five A.D. You can find 500 people that say, oh, yeah, I saw Jesus. Not just crucified, but resurrected. I mean, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of witnesses. There's James uh, that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. The, uh, there's the apostles immediately before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, 4 through 10. And then there's, of course, the last but not the least in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, the apostle Paul who saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, among probably a few other places in Arabia and maybe in a jail cell a time or two. But And then there's the public record. Now turn to, to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 in verse 23. The Bible says here in uh, Acts chapter 26, 26 and 20 in verse 23 it says uh, i'll start in verse 22 and having therefore obtained help of god i continued unto this day witnessing both the small and great saying none other thing than those which the prophets and moses did say and should come now this is paul in verse 22 and what he's saying is hey guys i just because the new testament hadn't been written yet he is saying all i've been doing is taking the scripture Remember, we talked about the scripture and its importance to the resurrection. And I have just been proclaiming the Bible. And then it says this in verse 23. That Christ should suffer. That's what you find in the scriptures. And that he should uh, be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. He's like, hey, Festus, I just want you to get a clue here. Agrippa knows this happened. This was so obvious that every it's in the public record now. Paul just admitted in the Roman court. So now it's in the record. And now we got it in our Bible as well. That hey, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so, so substantiated that, that, that you know, Paul's saying to King Agrippa, he knows all about it. Or he's telling Festus that King Agrippa knows all about it. And, of course, he did. I say all that to say this. If you're one that is, is, is doing the math, you're going to come up with a... There's more evidence for probably for Jesus Christ's resurrection than there is George Washington. I mean, there's a lot of witnesses. It's better than reading, you know, something Homer said. Um, I mean, this stuff is... we There's there's records that we, we take the, the reality of Alexander the Great, not we, the world. They'll believe... Stuff that was written four or five hundred years after Alexander the Great was born and say, oh, that's historical evidence. 
And this is written 30 years, 20 years after Jesus is dead and rose again. And you got witnesses after, you got witnesses. It's, it's, a, it's, so, it's so obvious that they're in a court of law and it's like, hey, everybody knows this, Festus. You're the crazy person. Guys, it, it just historically is accurate. Point B, examine the evidence of the empty tomb as well. In Romans, or 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of the apostles, and the last of all he was seen of me, as one born out of due time. You see, the tomb was sealed by Pilate, and guarded by the Roman centurions to ensure that no one would steal the body. You know, Paul says, hey, listen, um, I'm delivering to you what's been handed down to me. This is how it went down. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Well, Pilate was, a, was concerned about these scriptures being fulfilled. So the tomb was seal, sealed by, par, by Pilate and guarded by these Roman centurions. In Matthew 27, verse 65, the Bible says, Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make, sure, make it as sure as you can. So that when so they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. The scripture records in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-nine um, that his body was prepared in a new linen cloth by Joseph of Arimathea, and the burial of Jesus was done under the watchful eye of those Roman soldiers. There was nothing that was going on with Jesus' burial that wasn't being followed uh, closely by the Romans. The keepers were present when Jesus uh, left the, the tomb as well. In Matthew chapter 28, it says in verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and another Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. And the fear of him, uh, and for the fear of him, the keepers did shake. And became as dead men. So they were there uh, seeing this. And they fell as down as dead men. In John chapter 20 verses 5 through 7. The Bible records that Peter and John saw the linen clothes lying untouched. Because Jesus came right through them as he resurrected. The scripture records in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. That the high priest bribed the guards to lie about the body of Jesus. They spread the rumor that the disciples stole the body. That was circulating uh, the day Jesus resurrected. Uh, this is silly because their own words record their own hesitation to believe their Messiah had resurrected. And it also uh, is very unusual to steal the body and leave the clothes behind, especially costly ones that Joseph of Arimathea had provided. None of it makes any sense because, well, he wasn't stolen, he resurrected. So the empty tomb is a fulfillment of the sign of Jonah that Jesus promised to the hard-hearted Pharisees. There's also prophecies. You can go back and read Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and you can see that all of these things, Isaiah, there's all kinds of prophecy about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There have been others resurrect from the dead, by the way, but none of them ascended to heaven and live eternally 
Um, none of them have ascended to heaven and lived for eternity. They all died, including Lazarus, right? Lazarus resurrected, but he, he didn't live forever. He died again. And then it'll take him another resurrection to get his inheritance. So only Jesus Christ and those who place their faith in him inherit eternal life. It's because of Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so examine the evidence of the empowered bride of Christ. You know, one of the best evidences of Jesus' resurrection is what we are doing right here today. It's the fact that we gather on the first day of the week. And, you know, if you know, if you know anything about people gathering, like we don't, there's no like, there's no catch. I mean, it's like, come to Heartland. What do you get out of it? You know, you get this guy getting up here giving you a, a charge from the word of God. And, and, uh, and then, you know, what's, what, what pulls us all together is Jesus. Jesus brings us here from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of, you know, stratas of social society, race. It doesn't matter where you come from. We all come together in Christ. Why? Because we're empowered by his spirit. The bride of Christ is the visible manifestation. You got three things that were left after Jesus' resurrection. And I should be more specific, after his ascension. After 40 days with his disciples, he ascended and went to heaven. Uh, And that's where he sits right now until his return. Okay, so after his ascension, he replaced himself with three things. The Word of God, which is the the Bible. The Holy Ghost, which is the invisible person of Christ. And the third thing is what? The local church, right? The local New Testament church. Acts chapter 2, the church was born. The Spirit of God indwells the church. And then by the end of the first century, we had a completed Bible. New Testament and Old Testament. And so, uh, man, the, the evidence... Examine the evidence of the empowered bride of Christ. The day of Pentecost, and from Pentecost until now, about 1,993 years of human history, there's been the evidence of the power of the resurrection. And our very hope at HBF is to deliver the gospel intact at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul said about the resurrection, right, and the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15? These things that I've given to you, right, they came to me. Well, that's what we're giving back to him. When the Lord returns, we want to give him back exactly what he left to us we want to be faithful stewards of it so philippians 2 16 says we're holding forth the word of life that i may rejoice in the day of christ that i have not run in vain neither labored in vain wait a minute man this is getting crazy are you saying then that we're going to have a future like not just in the clouds somewhere but we're going to see jesus yes i am it's a literal resurrection uh, that's what the rapture the catching away of the church is all about what are we to do until then we're to hold fast to the faithful words as we've been taught We're to give back to him what he has given us. The church was empowered at Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And Jesus, of course, was that Passover at his suffering. And he builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. We spent all last week at our vision conference talking about planting churches and how God is in the business of establishing churches. What is that about? God needs churches planted. They are one of the evidences of what God is doing on this planet. It's one of the things that Satan wants to hijack and has been hijacking, by the way, uh, for about 1,600 and some years. Um, and so there is a lot going on around the local church as evidence in of itself uh, for the resurrection of Christ. Every time you see someone go through this baptism tank and give testimony and you see a life change, man, you know that is the power of the resurrection. Not everybody has to have some gnarly old testimony. But you know what? God does bring a lot of people through here that do have a gnarly testimony. You know why? Just so skeptics will see the power of God. 
just so they'll see that God changes lives. We exist to glorify our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should be preparing ourselves for his return by making our garments white and proclaiming his goodness and power to all that will hear. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And examine the promise of the imminent return of Christ. There is, there is more in the Bible written about Jesus' second coming than his first coming. For those who want to blow off the reality of the resurrection, this is what happens. You end up facing the wrath of God. So when you say, oh, well, what's the risk of not believing the resurrection? It's facing God without an advocate. It's facing a God who did everything he could to save your sins and then saying, you know what? I never needed it. It's missing the reality of the resurrection. It's missing salvation. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen that all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The only other place this phrase, all power, is mentioned in the scriptures in reference to the Antichrist, who is quickly approaching power in our current world system. And he'll be granted all power and signs and lying wonders to deceive those who will not rest in the promise of his resurrection. You can find all that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But for us, for us that are the church, we're waiting on what the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking for that blessed hope, that day of Jesus coming. It says, for when... For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep, or those which have died in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the, uh, the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. And beloved, that, that is going to be incredible. It's important that you receive the proof of Scripture because this witness is true and time is short. So you have the promise, you have the proof, but do you have the power? The resurrection power. You know, if Christ did not resurrect, you'll not resurrect. If Christ didn't resurrect, you'll not resurrect. In 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, Paul writes all about it. You can read that all on your own. There's a lot in there. But it says in verse chapter 15 and verse 12, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul's like saying, hey, listen, I expect that out in the world, but is there somebody in the church house saying there's no resurrection of the dead? Then you have a problem with what the Bible teaches. I'm not saying that. That's what Paul said. But I am saying that because that's what Paul said. So, okay. But but if there's no resurrection of the dead, he goes on to say, then is Christ not risen? And if if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. It's empty. And your faith also vain. It's empty. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ and uh, who he raised not up. And if so, he raised uh, the dead. Right. If I'm sorry. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Uh, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If, then, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If Jesus is some crutch, then you are wasting your time. Why would you waste your time? Gathering together on the first day of the week, if it's just Jesus is a crutch until you die. There's way more to it than that. 
And that's what Paul is saying. You know what? Every one of the apostles ended up dying for this belief that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. You know why? Because he resurrected from the dead. You won't go lay down your life for somebody that's for something that didn't happen. What would be the payoff for that? It's silly. Oh, I really want to advance this cause. I'm going to go die for it. Why? Makes no sense. Paul says, what are you talking about? A a gospel? There is no gospel if there's no resurrection. There's no good news if there's not a resurrection. If Jesus Christ didn't come out of the grave, you don't come out of the grave. If you don't connect the dots, salvation is at stake. It is it's a serious business and all of eternity is hinging on this. If there's no resurrection, we have no redeemer from the no redemption from the penalty of sin. You get that, man? That's the problem is that we are born sinful. We're like a, a moth to the flame, man. And Jesus Christ had to come and interdict that. And he did when he died on the cross and he rose and he conquered sin and death. If there's no resurrection, we have no purpose or power In preaching, I mean, this message is just a waste of our time. Let's just go home. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. Either this thing is true or it's a lie. And if it's a lie, I don't want anything to do with it. I put my whole life on this thing, in eternal life. By the way, our life should be proof of the resurrection. Moving on. If there's no resurrection, we have no faith because the Bible's a hoax, man. The Bible is just a joke. And it ain't no joke. If there's no resurrection, then I'm a false witness and condemned. Boy, isn't that the truth? If there's no resurrection, there ain't no bigger fool in the room than this preacher. I'm the biggest fool ever. If there's no resurrection, uh, then then your believing uh, uh, relatives are also condemned. There is no hope next time you go to the funeral home. There's no hope next time you see a tragedy. There's no hope beyond the grave. Beloved, it is Jesus Christ and his resurrection that makes the difference. If there's no resurrection, then then Christian life is a complete and utter waste of time. And there is no message to tell anybody. And Oh, my goodness, what a dystopian world we live in. And beloved, listen to me. You're living in a culture today that denies the existence of Jesus Christ, denies the power of Jesus Christ, denies the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens in a world like that? It gets dark. And it does get dystopian and human life becomes devalued and people don't understand who they are, how they were created, how valuable they are to a holy God who left heaven and came to earth because he loves us so. Man, you think you think you're not valuable. You do not understand the gospel. Jesus Christ loves you. Man, he loves you. And Romans eight says this. This wouldn't be true. If the gospel is, if the, if the resurrection is not true, then Paul was lying when he said in Romans 8, 18, for I reckon, I do the math, well, he was from Arkansas, I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. No, because of the resurrection, Paul did know what he was talking about. No matter, no matter how bad it hurts. It ain't hurting bad enough to overcome the glory that shall be revealed in us. It is better because of the resurrection. Paul's analogy in Romans 8.38 would just be heresy when he said, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if if the resurrection isn't true, then you don't have that hope. 
Oh, what a glorious hope. Romans 8. I love that, man. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the power of our pending resurrection is what gives us purpose today. Now I recognize I'm probably preaching to the Amen Choir for the most part. So what is all this about for us? Man, if you're born again and you know Jesus and you're like, yes, 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 amen, amen. You know what we have today? We have purpose because we do have power, because we do have proof, because we do have promise. We got everything we need. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor, your labor, is not in vain in the Lord. You know what? There is, there is a reason, isn't there? The resurrection encourages. I know here at Heartland, I just got to commend HBF for a minute. Man, thank you guys for all the labor. You guys have been working hard, especially the, this, this year all the time. But it's been a busy season. First Corinthians fifteen fifty four says that death, whew, it's swallowed up in victory. It's swallowed up in victory. Why did Jesus come to this earth to die? Well, for our sin. Why is the resurrection so important? Because death is swallowed up in victory. That resurrection is symbol, symbols that death has been conquered. First Corinthians 15 uh, and verse 55 is a quote directly from Hosea 13, and will be done. Hosea 13, 14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. O grave, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, how does the resurrection impact your life? How does it impact your heart? Can you point out the promise of the resurrection? Do you have proof of the resurrection? Are you experiencing the power of the resurrection? Well, I hope you, I hope today you have all three of those things, the promise, the proof, and the power, and it's giving you purpose. But maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never really fully gotten the gospel. Uh, the gospel is good news. What, what does that mean? That Jesus Christ came to this world to die in our place. The bad news is that we're sinners. The good news is that he came to, to die and save us. And he did die just the way the Bible says. He's the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. And you know what God's looking for is for people who will apply his blood to their life so that that death angel passes over them. The Bible says all you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. 
you know, you might think I got to work my way to heaven or maybe even hearing a message like this, like, oh, I got to clean myself up so I'll be accepted of God. No, you don't. That's you can't clean yourself up. The Bible says that, that we fall short. And our best efforts aren't good enough. Right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every man in his best state is altogether empty. And that's the truth. You, as the older you get in life, the more you find that out, isn't it? You want this, and then it's just, it doesn't, what's glitters is, is it just fades. And then you want this, and you're after that. And, and every time you get something, and once you get it, it just, it's like, man, that wasn't, that's not new and shiny anymore. Why is that? Because every man in his best state's altogether vanity. There comes a point in our life where we have to realize that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I pray that today, if God's brought you here and, and, and you are in a place in your life where, you know, that in that video, there's that empty egg. And that empty egg, like that guy said, is often representative of negative things. Maybe the, the negative thing this morning is an empty heart. You know Jesus is not in your heart. But because of the empty tomb, you know where he wants to dwell. He wants to dwell in you. So when someone calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says literally they are saved because Jesus Christ takes up residence in them. And today I would encourage anybody on the sound of my voice is not saved to, to make, a, make a decision today to trust Jesus. So let's just have every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. As we conclude our time together, I just want to just ask you this morning. If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? I know when I was, before I knew that, I I would tell people I did, but in my heart, in in the deep recesses of my heart, I was lying. I really didn't know. And God would just bring people in my life to kind of nudge me and show me that, Brian, you're not right with me. You need to be, you need to get this right. And there came a day in my life where I just had to, I had to respond because I knew I wasn't sure I was going to get another opportunity. This morning, if you're here and you're, and you're saying, Brian, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that. But I'm not saved. I haven't asked Jesus into my heart. And I, but I want to. I want to. I want to know what it is to be saved. Right where you are, 